Coming up on this episode of the Mario Rosenstock podcast. Roy, I love you. You love me? I, with all my heart and soul. What kind of a start is that to a conversation? Uh, I was ringing uh, in to complain. <laughs> you can complain all you want. All I've been listening to for the last two minutes is this guy giving out. Rents, going up, giving out about food, giving out about it. It's so hard. It's so hard. Throwing a few chips on a pan. <laughs> I don't understand what I'm listening to. How hard can it be? You know, just a couple of roast potatoes... You know, a bit of gammon steak, get it down you. But no, you have to fanny around and start saying I'm a fucking artist. <laughs> fucking Anthony Bourdain. Credit to the lad, he was a good box to box. You know, but I mean, just throw a few chips on the pan and get on with it. You're a simple eater though, Roy. Of course I'm a simple eater. You know, not everybody's that easy, man. But just get it done. As a die-hard Man United fan, chef Gary O'Hanlon was only delighted when his hero, Roy Keane, phoned in to chat to him. But Roy being Roy, he was a tiny bit tetchy with poor Gary, but I think they got along okay in the end. If you're a fan of the restaurant on Virgin Media TV, then you'll be familiar with Gary. He's one of the chefs in the kitchen, helping the celebrities cook their menus, and you can't miss him. Huge mohawk, big smile, and an even bigger personality. He's had a very successful career in the fascinating world of restaurants, and he's very involved in radio too, podcasts and TV. So Gary and I talk about the cult of the celebrity chef, working with Marco Pierre White, why some people turn into complete divas when they're out in a restaurant, football, and some very personal topics that might resonate with you or someone you know. Here's a little taster of what's to come. And I said to the girl, I goes, actually, it's making a mohawk. She was shaving my head. And I goes, just go bare blade mohawk. And she goes, no, 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 no. And I says, don't make me say it twice. I might change my mind. Do it fast. Like, I definitely remember pulling in in Edgewistown one or two nights not long after. Like, I mean, I cried my heart out, but I was like, I didn't want Annette to see me crying my heart out. That's enough now. Sit down like a good boy and someone of you would. So I, like, I kind of just went straight defence of the waitress into condescending mode. Made a prick out of him and said, you know, sit down or... It'll, it'll be a case I'll just take you out by the throat. What kind of food would you recommend as real man food for us, Gaza? Tomahawks all the way. Ribeye, double cut steaks on the bone, <laughs> on a barbie. Absolutely bleeding down the side of your face as you eat it. <laughs> and <laughs> as we make mother-in-law <laughs> jokes, it's bleeding down the side of our jowls, Watersy. My full chat with Gary coming up in just a moment. But first, we have to go to a breaking news story. We don't often do this on the podcast, but this is a biggie. Just when you thought the controversy about the Irish women's football team had abated and that that song had all but blown over, the team are right back in the middle of an even bigger scandal today. RTE's News at One is just about to go live with this as their top story. Let's cross over now to Brian Dobson. This is the RTE News with Brian Dobson. Good afternoon. The top story, the Irish women's football team is today mired in fresh controversy about leaked footage which revealed the singing of a new and highly offensive song. Football commentator Tony O'Donoghue reports. Tony. Yes, this is really, really bad, Brian. Uh, The Irish ladies were in for a recent training session and spontaneously began to sing a song described by many to be infinitely more offensive than even the most recent chant uh, that they sang. Leo Varadkar was first to condemn 
uh, the singing of the song. Uh, well, clearly, uh, uh, nobody should be singing this song uh, now uh, or at any other time. Uh, people don't need to be reminded of the, the trauma uh, that this song inflicted on people. Minister for Finance Pascal Donoghue also condemned the offensive tune. It is a stain on our nation's history and frankly uh, should never have been sung in the first place. But even with that having been said, uh, the atrocity was committed. Uh, but it doesn't mean that it should ever be repeated. Earlier on, I spoke to Irish manager Vera Pau. Yes, I apologised profusely. Uh, what can I say? They just had um, a moment of madness, maybe, there. But Vera, surely they must have known how offensive this song was. Yes, I mean, of course. I mean, it was a disgusting song. and Maybe, um, I don't know, maybe it was usual for them all. But Vera, any Ronan Keating song would have been offensive. Yes, I know. But surely this, the alarm bells would have been... Well, what is done is done, and we're so sorry. God... A footage from the dressing room has recently emerged. Listeners should be warned again. This material is highly offensive. Oh, the clip, of course, has gone viral. Using the hashtag, ooh, oh, up the row. I said, ooh, uh, up the row. Good afternoon. <laughs> Hopefully we can get through this one as a nation. It won't be easy, but we will endeavour to try. Award-winning comedy every week right here on the Mario Rosenstock podcast. And we're delighted to have joined the Go Loud Network, um, the platform we are on now. Tell a friend, please. Just tell one friend, if you can, about this podcast. Subscribe, follow the show. Um, you can still talk to me directly on email, mariorosenstock at gmail.com. Uh, get on to me about anything you want. Suggestions for the show, criticisms of the show, or compliments for the show, all gratefully accepted. Rate and review if you're feeling generous. So let's swing the kitchen doors open now and meet TV chef Gary O'Hanlon. The current series of the restaurant is now on Virgin Media TV every week. Darren Garrahy was the celeb in the kitchen in the most recent episode. Turns out there's a great story behind how Gary actually landed his role on the show and that's where we started. So Gary, how did you first uh, get involved with the restaurant? How did you get a job as the chef and mentor in the restaurant? Yeah, funny enough, it was just on the back of the biggest heartbreak of my career where a lot of people probably don't know like I very nearly was the host of MasterChef Ireland oh. and went through I don't know must have been four it felt like four or five months and I think I might have been the guts of four or five months I'm not sure what year it was but I wasn't in View Mount House all that long what I do know is I'd never been on TV a day I had in the back of my mind come back to Ireland from Boston try and you know, no messing around, really applying myself to the career. So Viewmount House started getting, you know, good reputation around. And I get this email to show up at the Burlington Hotel at 9.30 on such and such a Monday morning, whatever date it was, and open season one, episode one of MasterChef Ireland at eye level to a room of, I think it was 32 or 16 or whatever it was anyways, and a two-minute monologue. And I'm like going... Holy shit. But the, 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 this email and I really made it feel like you're going to be the only one there. Anyways, in the jigs and the reels, I ended up making it through all the phases right down to the fuckers even handed me the contract. I knew what I would have been paid nearly. And Dylan McGrath and Nick Munier ended up doing it. Ross Golden Bannon, who at that time was the Sunday Business Post, the editor of Food and Wine as well, and a major food critic in Ireland. I seemed to have been paired with him a lot. Anyways, ultimately, we never got it. I wasn't expecting it. I had one sort of sad day to myself, had a wee bit of a cry about that. But not long after that, I guess 
and TV shows in Ireland near this, uh, you know, October, November, near the end of the year, some of them are given, like, can you throw together a Christmas special? Because it happened last year with the restaurant too, with a two or three week notice, will you make a Christmas special? So I guess the guy that was doing starters on the restaurant was Canadian. I think he might have gone home or wasn't around. And a casting call came out. But Grania McAleer um, was a commission editor and probably still is at RTE, I think. And I know she popped in a good bit in the MasterChef auditions too. And I was told anyways that, look, there's loads going to be in for it, but they're going to audition three will you be one of them so I got this date and I was like oh shit it was the day after Ireland's playoff for the Euros in 2012 and I like I, I watched the restaurant I was into the restaurants one of the few sort of foodie slash entertainment shows that I did catch a few episodes off having come back from the States so I was like look I'll go like but I'm like look I'm only going if I'm going to get it and like well we can't tell you you're going to get it and I sort of tried that there one you know I was like I don't really want the rejection so I went to the game Got absolutely sauced. Was this Bosnia? Yeah, I think they won it 4 0. Yeah. Was it, yeah. Was it Bosnia? Estonia, maybe. Estonia. Yeah. yeah. I think they won it 4 0, yeah. which was really un Ireland esque. Like, where we, we cruised. It was, in. We cruised yeah. In. So there's a mad party. I was meant to meet uh, a good pal of yours, too, I know from the Rose days. It was Owen Murphy, who works with Minister Foley now. But at that time, he was a showbiz reporter. We were kind of starting to become <laughs> buddies. We're great pals now. I go into town. The Irish team is in Crystal or whatever that nightclub's called. The party's good. All I remember is Duffer spraying champagne and Kino and everybody else down on top of me. And I'm having the fucking night of my life, right? I get home. So you're right in the middle of the last. I, I, I am in the mixer big time. Yeah, I, I blag my way upstairs yeah. anyways to the team. I couldn't find Owen. He couldn't find me, but I still got up anyways. And next day I wake up and I'm in the heart and I never do stuff like that like especially with something that was so big and I don't know if it was like I was trying not to get the gig or not be there <laughs> but I remember and this is disgusting I remember being on my knees at the spire vomiting right and this box of fucking oysters and food over to the right of me and I'm just like going into Cal Brewer Street so I had a one o'clock call time so I walk in anyways and then I have this ability to just tell myself that there's nobody like you. You're fucking amazing. There's nobody like like I, I psyching myself up as like going. There's absolutely no way anybody else is getting this gig. Mm. And I go in, and the director at the time, she starts talking to me, and producer was Katrina McBride, mm. a great friend now. She was from Donegal, from Gidor, and we headed off. So I sort of had to play almost the role of the celebrity head chef. And because I'd watched the show, we got into it. She started asking me stuff, started putting a twist in the dish. Or would you not try this? Would you not try that? And we just went with the flow. I had the time of my life. Ended up leaving going, right, Jesus, that felt like it was amazing. A buddy of mine, Ray Moran, rings me and says, come and join me. I'm up in Kills. And I says, I got to get home. Nettie's going to shoot me. I says, ah, but I'll come up for a look as eight because I'm, I'm still, this is now four or five and even. I'm still not evil. I walk in. He's in the bar. I says, I'm running downstairs to the toilet. Get me a look as eight and a sparkly water. I'll be back up. And when I'm down here paying, there's one dude bouncing off me one side, one the other side. I'm hungover as hungover I can be and I goes boys fucking don't push me again I goes I'm not in the mood today and then I'm looking at him one of them Shay Given and the other one's Richard Dunn right <laughs> I come back up and I'm looking around me and there's a load of boys yeah the fucking Irish team is now back in Kyo's on a sing song <laughs> but they're all wearing fancy dress oh. and I was like this has been a fucking mad two yeah. days and the next Wednesday I got a call RT comes up on the phone I'm actually in RTE getting auditioned for 
four live, which is now the Today Show with Mara. So I'm 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 trying to get inroads there. And I stopped the car. Ryan Tuberty's walking in front of me. I look at the phone. RT's ringing me. This is fucking weird. And it was the Lisa, I think, was her name, or a researcher on the show. And I was saying, "Can you be in Wineport Lodge next Wednesday?" Yeah. To I goes, "Oh, so I got the gig." And she goes, "Yeah, yeah, you got the gig." And then ha- that was big George Hook, and it was a Christmas Day special. <laughs> Tom McGurk, George Hook. <laughs> And me and George gone on like a house on fire yes, I, and, and still do to this day. And yeah. I, I answered the phone to George before that episode. And like me, I do a, well, an awful lot of research on something if it's live. Yeah. In the early days anyway, because I was always terrified of not knowing the answer. I have a lot more confidence now, whereas I mightn't do as much and rely just on, mm. it's so, okay so, not so to know. You got the role. I got the role. And then George was on your first game. And George was on the and first show. And you hit it show. off instantaneously. Un- unbelievable, yeah. George and Tom McGurk did the first day. And then halfway through that episode somebody walked into the kitchen and said is everybody free next Wednesday we're going to do a New Year's special too and that was Joe Duffy and Gerald Keane in a cook off and I've crossed paths with them over the years many times as well and then RT dropped the show so I was like going well that's my fault because I've no fucking luck I guess that's the reason why RT's dropped that show but then whenever TV3 or Virgin Media bought it back um, they never brought back the other guy like I was only brought in for that one mm. show and that's what I was told anyways and then Philip is always Philip Camp that owns VIP Productions he's always made it very clear like that like I'm a good part of it and a, mm. and a, and a valuable part of it and did you it. have the Mohawk back then? no the, the Mohawk kind of came about you know funny enough I always kind of had bad hairdos anyways or kind of man when I played football and you know you can get away with it when you're a good player like you can wear white boots you know what I mean <laughs> I, I had dreads yeah, pineapple head is only pineapple head when he's a crap player I know and yeah then, and then I was just like like my daughter and son now is getting in age like that they're sort of saying daddy you look stupid you know but the thing is is for many many years like like the late lunch live which became the 7 o'clock show which became the 6 o'clock show I sort of felt like fucking hell there's far too many people on there and I was like they're not all chefs they're not all good they're all I'm like there's there's no standing out so I was like going well if I'm going to work with brands and really I made a decision mm-hmm. to try and stand out from the crowd and I always it was a bit of a shitty haircut anyway <laughs> so I was in the Grafton Street one day in Arnott's and I said to the girl it goes actually says making a mohawk she was shaving my head and I goes just go bare blade mohawk and she goes no 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 and I says don't make me say it twice I might change my mind do it fast do it fast it's almost like a tattoo and that was it so I do it myself yeah, now. Yeah, I do it yeah. every night. I shave my head yeah. every night, and yeah. it's like therapy. I'm like, yeah, yeah. like his madman looking in the mirror. I was like, ah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. For those of you who don't know what Gary looks like, he he, um, well, he reminds me a little bit of that darts player Peter Wright. Oh yeah, on the darts, right? Except it's yours is not like multicolored. Yeah. So you have a beard, and you have a kind of a grey and a red, mo- a grey and a red mohawk, and a grey and a red beard, a bit like Brendan Gleeson with a mohawk. Yeah. You're really selling me. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what? Uh, I told you that people are listening to this uh, podcast as we talk, right? But actually, George Hook is in his car, I think, oh. at the moment. And he's ringing. Say hello to George. George, how's the form? Yeah, hi, Gary. I'm really enjoying this conversation. I still can't remember. What was it we cooked on that first day, Gary? George, you tried to ruin my career. You smoked haddock with a poached egg. Oh. Oh, you made him hams of it. But we I saved remember. the day. Listen, Gary, myself, I don't know if you know this, 
But mice, I have a men shed down behind the house in Box Rock. And I have a few of my friends who come over. Kevin Myers, Myersy, <laughs> Ivan Yates, Yatesy, uh, and John Waters. Watersy, and we all sit around and we make misogynistic jokes and we crucify the snowflakes and the woke brigade. But we really need an old chef to come in and cook us some man food. What kind of food would you recommend as real man food for us, Gaza? Tomahawks all the way. What are tomahawks? So big ribeye double cut steaks on the bone Yankee. the full rib bone on there bleeding. on a barbie absolutely bleeding down the side of your face as you <laughs> eat it and you have to hold on to the bone as you eat it like a chicken and, and as we <laughs> make mother-in-law jokes it's bleeding down the side of our jowls watersy Absolutely. Mother-in-law jokes are alright. I don't think they come into the misogynist. They're all really. snowflakes! <laughs> sorry I'm sorry out of my, I'm just in the car here. I'll be with you in a second love Stupid bitch. Anyway, gotta go, Gaza. Good luck, George. Oh, that's lovely. Lovely to hear from George. I mean, it seems like you two have a chemistry together. Yeah. I see. I watched you talking about there, um, just you were looking around on television. Um, we don't have to talk about any names, okay? Although I will mention names for a different yeah. reason. But we don't have to, But we, there's a lot of cooks on t- television. Between yourself and myself, and we will not mention names. Between yourself and myself, are there a lot of chancers out there? Oh, definitely. I think, look, in any walk of life there is, you mm. know, but... The, the, and the, there's some chancers on telly. Uh, I wouldn't say there's any chancers that have their own shows. There's mm. definitely a lot of chancers on TV, but yes. anybody that anybody that's doing their own show, absolutely not. Mm. I mean, there'd be a lot of people out there that would begrudge people that have their own shows yeah. and sort of feel like they should have their own shows. Do you shows. think some people get their own spot on telly for the way they sound, look, or come across rather than what they can do? Um... I think maybe there was a period of time, definitely, and maybe 10 years ago that that was a case, maybe where looks was a thing and it was getting on. Um, I think as a food nation, Ireland's moved on incredibly. I think TV production companies and and the stations and networks have, have realised that it, it's a very educated audience now in Ireland as far as cooking's concerned. That's right, yeah. And, you know, anybody and everybody that, that's got their own shows and have been given a chance in Ireland, best of luck to them. I mean, mm. there's some there's some unbelievable talent on TV. Then there's some unbelievable talent that's been on TV and maybe are not on TV half enough. Mm. Like I would probably say Paul Flynn or Martin Shanahan and that. Yeah. They had a surf and turf programme. Mm. Unbelievable. Because they bring the entertainment as well as the food. And I think, I think that's really important in my world anyway. Martin Shanahan, is that Fishy Fishy? Yeah, it's Fishy Fishy. Ah, fishy, can fishy. See, yeah, he's unbelievable, yeah. you know. Like they, they had a brilliant show so no there's there's anybody that's got their own show right now they've worked really really hard and they deserve their chance who is your favourite of all time in terms of even internationally or British or Irish to look at on TV I'm not talking about the most the best chef Keith Floyd oh god oh yeah Keith Floyd Floyd. I I have him written down here yeah Keith Floyd like Keith Floyd and Gary Rhodes just warming up here now with a little little glass of mm, what will it be (laughs) forget about the food let's just get the that's what we, we I know, but that was a time. That was a time. You know, you Keith Floyd, and then obviously he would have helped um, discover Rick Steen. Rick Steen then yeah. I, I would know his son Jack quite well, yeah. and 
um, David Pritchard was it I think he might have been the producer of the BBC that came on mm. them boys but Keith Floyd was amazing Gary Rhodes I would put down for oh. my bad hairdos and bravery to get the hairdos because Gary Rhodes would have been on TV when I was quite young yeah. he was quite really modern British you know like but we would have watched the BBC a lot up in Donegal when I was growing up mm. I really liked his I mean I me myself I suppose I'd, I'd like to think that you know, in time, his his food aged maybe a wee bit quicker. Like Keith Floyd was a real classicist, yes. But it was the delivery as well, like just that ease of phrase and and the way he spoke, and he, he really made a mark. Now I, I have to say, um, I'm a massive fan of Ramsey. I, I really am. I, I think he's amazing. You know, obviously a lot of people like to love to hate Ramsey simply because of the the swearing and this that and the other you know what I mean but look I, I swear a bit so that probably doesn't bother me but um, he worked incredibly hard in his early days in his career he went in through the fucking Harveys with Marco Pierre White and the tough shitty kitchens moved to France came from nothing he's incredible I think I think Gordon Ramsay like in the business that he's developed all over the world obviously he's a full time you know TV personality right now he's definitely getting very close to making some shite now you know what I mean like so mm-hmm. he's probably at the stage where put the brakes on and, and keep it high end if if that mm. makes any sense you know what I mean but you know the Hell's Kitchens whenever they came out first and, and what have you I I just think he's he's top drawer um, more calls coming in your 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 podcast is proving um, to be gaining an interesting audience uh, Joe Duffy is actually on the line um, say hello to Joe Joe how are you good afternoon to you good afternoon Gary 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 I'm listening to the programme very interesting, very good programme, but too good, too good, too good. It's too upbeat, it's too happy. I want to hear the downsides, I want to hear the disasters. So, Gary, I want to, did, are there any disasters? Disasters. Are there near disasters? Well, you can start with the near disasters, you can titillate me, and bring me up then to the real disasters and get me over the top, if you know what I mean. Come on, go on. The biggest disaster in my whole career now, came... let me slow down, I'll slow down the car now. At Hold the on. hands yeah. of fucking you, Joe Duffy, and Stevie, because it was early days for me in the restaurant. Go on. And Stevie stitched me big time so tastings as you know in the restaurant that's the only time we're allowed to have any opinion right so you Joe Duffy being the Billy Big Balls you are you do a, a scallop apple ravi raviolo I remember it was brilliant it was brilliant and it's all layered so there's this sort of crumbly pine nutty thing then there's a piece of scallop and then there's a, a like a brunoise of apple and then repeat 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 now fresh pasta making that Sam putting together all these raviolis and then Stevie turns around and says oh I think it needed this or it needed that it needed a layer whatever mm-hmm. so 60 of them all in the bin 7 or 8 hours working on it mm-hmm. and all hands on deck 45 minutes the service opening and you stand and drinking a glass of fucking red wine with Gerald Keane so that that's was not, a disaster that, that, that's not very nice of me was it no 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 so I, I nearly ruined your career is oh, that what you're saying it was the worst day I ever put yeah, on yeah. anywhere never mind on TV but sadly I was surrounded by cameras <laughs> Sorry, Gary, 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 Gary. Me, me little birdie in the tree told me that there was another disaster and that you're not telling me about it. You're not being actually honest with Uncle Joe and that there was a thing about a soup. Tell us about the soup. Oh, yeah. the uh, A buddy of mine, I don't even know if I've ever come clean, actually, to, to Brandon and Sharon, but 
Oliver Kelleher is a big businessman in Castlebar. He was getting, his daughter Sharon was getting married. And I'm not joking you when I say there was over 600 people. It was a West of Ireland wedding. Big country wedding. And it was, yeah. So I had this pot in the hotel and I was I was brought in. I was doing the wedding and it did 500 bowls of soup. Okay, it was a carrot and coriander soup. You think it was 100 bowls short? And No, it wasn't. So I'm walking through the kitchen as somebody's got the gun in it, right? So the soup gun is called the gun. Now, something can be burning. That, that had to sit in a low heat at all times right it didn't have there's usually a big thick steel base in these pots and it was gone on that so it had its own wee special spot nobody turns up the gas nobody goes near it just fucking let it simmer away and then we'll gun it but when something's burning and it's that it's got that much depth the danger uh, the whole place going on fire and you're saying 500 people went on fire and the ambulance had to be called and the paramedics how many people were you responsible for the death of Gary? I was responsible for nearly the fucking death of whoever turned up the gas but I couldn't find them so I walked by the gun and I'm like oh my god and the fucking life just left my body and I went over and I tasted it sure enough mm. I didn't need to taste it I could smell it you'll always smell before you can nearly taste it from smell and I, I nearly died I was like people are coming into the room what am I going to do and luckily that day carrots were one of the veg and all the potatoes so we started getting stock cubes emptying every bit of boiling water of all the geezers and whatnot pots on boiling and I made 500 bowls of soup in about 12 minutes just from blitzing stock cubes boiling water cooked potatoes carrots I says look we'll worry about replenishing all this so if Sharon and Brendan's listening you nearly didn't get soup yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, I nearly died that was that was actually a frightening day yeah, it was unbelievable excellent but kept my cool and um, as if things weren't bad enough in the last two and a half years I mean I remember you know speaking to you on the radio um, and you know, about this situation and just how awful it was for restaurants and, and the hospitality industry. And we come straight out of that and it's all guns blazing, gung-ho. And then this period happens to us, this awful period where inflation, interest rates, the war in Ukraine, grain, um, perfect sunflower oil, world supplies, perfect storm. So, I mean, when you think about it for a moment, the restaurant industry has gone from, well, from the, if, forgive the pun, from the frying pan into the fire. Yeah. And it just is disastrous at the moment, isn't it? Yeah, it's a, re- it's a really worrying time. You must it, have lots and lots of... I have a lot of worried friends. A lot of yeah. worried friends. Yeah, there's a huge, there's, look, there's a huge amount closed already. I mean, just today, Dominie and Peaches closed Joe's at Arnott's, you know what I mean? Like, that's another one that I just know personally. There's, there's loads of businesses um, about uh, probably about to go. You know, like I th- I, obviously we're coming out of probably very generous government support, and a lot of people would say like you know we lobbied going up the budget day like for the nine percent VAT rate to stay. Obviously, I cook in France now. It's a wee bit different for me. I'm under a, a different laws yeah. and, and whatnot, but it's still samey samey in a way. Like, but yeah. There's the staffing crisis is absolutely massive. So so people aren't actually able to open. If you had a business that was costed and priced on a seven-day operation, so they don't have the staff to open seven days, but now a lot of them as well don't actually have the money to open seven days. They're sort of, you, you might start seeing the old French way of a place opens for two hours at lunchtime and opens in the evening time okay. from, from five to seven again or six to nine or something like that there and nothing in between, which is... 
you know, I, I saw that somewhere like a week or two ago and thought, God, you know, that is exactly mm. the way restaurants used to be. Like, did you go at lunch, whereas now we morphed into this. You can kind of go anywhere at any time of day and you'll get something to eat. But it's definitely extremely worrying. I mean, when you start seeing wee coffee shops that used to get like seven, eight hundred euro bills, get nine and a half gram bills. I saw a hotel last week in Cork put up 72,000 euro for energy bills at a time where they're probably having to pay whatever staff they have a wee bit more. They're working to the bone. No, everybody's kind of short. It's it's an extremely. I mean, I, I'm an eternal optimist, but it is really, really hard even for me now to be finding light at the end of the tunnel for a lot of colleagues and peers at the moment. You know, like it's uh, mm. and uh, look, what's uh, going to change that? There's so many factors out of our hands in yes, that. You and, know, and it's it's as a punter myself, right? So like the last two times I've been in the restaurant, it's just jumped out at me from the menu because I remember looking at a steak, right, and. <laughs> It was like 49 euro. Yeah. And I was, I'd never in my life, you know. Yeah. The, the next one I went, I think there was, it was a 38 euro. Yeah. You'd never have seen. No. So prices. And I know that beef has gone Oh yeah, well, well beef is always really expensive. Yeah. Well, I ate in a place in Dublin not long ago and, this, and the desserts were 20 something euro. The mm. starters were 20 something euro. And like, I'll be honest, it's one of the few things. I'm buying cars or buying food. I don't really like, I love cars and I love food and I'm like right well I'll buy a car that I probably can't afford but it's fast as fuck and, and I'm happy food then mm. I go on the menus and don't it's the first time in living memory that I looked at, at prices and went ah no mm. hold on a minute but then equally if those prices aren't coming, you're a you're a busy fool. You're you're a bad businessman. You're not doing things right and the fact of the matter is but if, if COVID did anything as well you would hope that it showed people how expensive food is. I mean, enough of, I mean, the 25% of the country get their calories from takeaways, which is why they stayed open. I could not believe that stat at the time whenever it came out. And that's how they justified takeaways and that happened. And I suppose, thank God, because maybe, you know, places got to stay open to, to some degree. But definitely, like, you're going to start seeing, like, places that do tasting menus or set menus or whatever to be like I mean Viewmount House when I was there it was 59, 60 euro whenever I finished there was a, like, a moosh bush starter middle main course dessert tea coffee petty fours I mean we won restaurant of the year like everything was made it was amazing there isn't a fucking colour of a menu now where you're getting five courses for 60 quid it might be 70 quid but there'll be no bush there'll be no middle and there'll be mm. no petty fours mm. and fair enough mm. you know what I mean like so it's it's, it's definitely, you know, dining out and the rates and the rents and everything. And, you know, a few years ago, I was in Arizona and on research for a business I was involved in. And I came on the guy that founded Uber. Um, I saw the first Cloud Kitchen. Um, he's got this business called Cloud Kitchens. Mm. It was 35 restaurants under one roof. Mm. And I remember talking to Pat Phelan, who's a, a serial investor here at the Sisu and, and a few others. And he used to be a chef in his early days. And I, we don't know each other very well, but like we've bumped into one another a few times. And I sent him images of this place. I thought, God, it goes, I bet Pat would. He'd like the idea of this here. You know, it was just a wee conversation. But this was literally 35 different restaurants. And each one of them only a little bit bigger than the studio mm. that we're in today. But it was all delivery. And I was like, oh, well, you know, when you think about it, if a place got a brand or they got a, a like a reputation, and I think the Camille group do something very similar. Mm -hmm. They might have a unit off the M50 or whatever. But you're going to start seeing an awful lot more of that. And if the prices keep going the way they're going, 
you know, the same in the way that maybe you never would have seen the death of the pub. Like, I hope we never, ever have a time where we see the death of the restaurant. COVID may have dramatically stopped that and helped that in a sense that we appreciate being around people. Like, I know pubs have kind of got a bit of a boost recently. But I really, really hope that it's something that's never never disappears from our culture, that restaurants just become inaccessible mm. to everybody, even those with money. Mm-hmm. A uh, lot of calls now getting on the line. Uh, Roy Keane has called in from Cork. Oh, wow. um, he is he's come back to Ireland in the last couple of days. He's on course. Say hello to Roy. Roy, I love you. You love me. I with all my heart and soul. What kind of a start is that to a conversation? Uh, I was ringing uh, in to complain. <laughs> you can complain all you want. All I've been listening to for the last two minutes is this guy giving out rents going up, giving out about food, giving out about it's so hard. It's so hard throwing a few chips on a pan. <laughs> <laughs> I don't understand what I'm listening to. How hard can it be? I well, mean, you're throwing a few. I mean, talk about this lad. You know, he's absolutely minting it out in out in France. He's living in the working out of a place called the Condor, and he says he supports United. I haven't heard one word about United. Oh man, I could talk United all. But you haven't said one day. word. You know that I'm on the line. You're talking about United. I haven't said heard one word. When are you coming on. back, Roy? When are you coming back? We're talking about a chef here who follows United. We're talking about the original prawn sandwich brigade. <laughs> this lad is the no author chance. of the prawn sandwich. No chance. This guy made the prawn sandwiches. I did. I would. You have actually loved cooked it. the prawns. <laughs> you're the cooker of the prawns. You're, I couldn't think of anything more. I despise. And you're call yourself a United fan. When are you going to come back, Roy? When, are you, going back to get out, when are you going to get out of the studio, come back to Old Trafford? I don't understand. I don't understand it. You know, just a couple of roast potatoes, you know, a bit of gammon steak, get it down you. But no, you have to fanny around and start <laughs> saying, I'm a fucking artist. <laughs> fucking Anthony Bourdain. Credit to the lad, he was a good box to box. You know, but I mean, just throw a few chips on the pan and get on with it. You're a simple eater though, Roy. Of course I'm a simple eater. You know, not everybody's that easy, man. But just get it done. Just get it down. I hear you. I hear you. I you need know, to change. To make I need a to big change deal my out of it. What's the object of the game? <laughs> get it into the tummy. Yeah, I suppose you 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 kept it simple, Roy, didn't you? you I kept it unlike yeah, you. I'm too much of a zizu. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Yeah, too French. You know, yeah. fattening around. That's my around. that's my alter ego as well. The bedtime butterfl- stories. <laughs> fancy little butterfly steaks. I know. I know. All right. Fucking no more. kill the cow and eat it. No more fucking around, Roy. Now you're talking. Okay. Anything about United? We're coming back slowly but surely. We're like a slow now breeze. You're me laugh. We're like a slow breeze. <laughs> That's great, great. That brilliant. He's he and fairness you did you did you did take it from him. Yeah. Not many people do. No, no, no. Not many people do. What do you think of the um did you hear about that James Corden thing? I did. Yeah. I did. Isn't that amazing? Have you actually can you remember any time that you've can you remember bad customers? Um, bad clients yeah go on give us a, give us, uh, well, tell us a few one yeah not that long ago go on yeah just one I, I'm interested know. I, I, love I mean I won't say things. where you no, know no don't but, go on but yeah it was just just one dude stepped out of line you know and uh, actually came into the kitchen looking looking for someone you know and and I, I just a, a fucking switch went off in my head you know like, but obviously what do you want Um, more of something you know what I mean like he was just Literally, it was just constant, constant. Get me, get me, get me. It was quite sozzled as well. You know what I mean? Like it was. It was, was he, was, sorry, you're make, the way you're making it sound is it was just this big greedy man. No, it wasn't at all. It was a really, really well-to-do dude. You know what I mean? It was just the he case wanted more of, food, and I was like, "That's enough now. Sit down like a good boy." And someone of you was so I like I kind of just 
went straight defence mm. of the waitress into condescending mode, made a prick out of him and said, you know, sit down or it'll it'll be a case I'll just take you out by the throat. You know what I mean? Like there's gonna be no fucking two ways about it. So there wasn't that, that's that's nearly thirty years in the business though and I've only come across one where I where I really wanted to remove them, you know? Mm. Yeah. But I heard about the James Corden thing and look I've heard a few things about him over the over the last couple of years. So um I suppose my first reaction to that was I wasn't I wasn't surprised. Um I know he's made a graveling apology, so it's obviously true. I mean your man at Balthazar is not gonna be coming out anyways and saying something like that unless it was absolutely happening. But I'll tell you what now they've now now James apologized to him. Yeah, I know. And your man has come back and he said it's grand. You can come back. Yeah. In. Yeah, it's a, but the damage is done to him. Sure, mm-hmm. like, Jesus Christ, saying sorry. Like, I would have been I would have been denying that. You're like, what do you mean you're saying sorry? You're just saying you were... Like, anybody, by the way, that's hateful to staff in a restaurant is a proper fucking prick be- behind closed doors. They must be. I mean, can you imagine having the audacity to be rude or ignorant in front of your wife to a waitress or a this waiter? Is, this, or Gary, other you're people? totally right. I mean, I would I, just be like, Gary, you're totally what, right. What this, the this, fuck? this, this. I mean, both Patrick and I know people. We all know people in our lives, and uh, we all know people in our lives. Yeah. They're usually, and those people, and I'm talking about the person that you go to a restaurant with, and they act like an arsehole. and you're going, fucking hell. That's hard to be around. Hang that is really I hard. Didn't, I didn't see this in you. Yeah. I didn't I didn't know you were this. And they start acting like an arsehole towards staff in yeah. restaurants. You know, almost the, oh, the wow. clicking the fingers thing. Yeah. Returning things and going not but not 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 returning things is fine if I'm complaining. But like this demanding kind of And funny belittling. enough, a lot of people think that chefs are like that or what are people in the food industry. We are we are well look it might be contradictory here. We're the easiest people in the world to feed because we're so grateful to not be cooking. Like, literally, I go into a house. I don't know how many fucking houses we go to and nobody gives me dinner or you don't get food. People come to me and I'm like, go on and sit the netty. I need to fucking, I need to tone it down a bit. I'm way too, way too generous or good. But I, I love cooking and I love, really love cooking for friends of people coming over. And, you know, if I'm in a restaurant or you're getting something or you're not working or it's a rare night away or night off, but, like, the the, the thoughts of anybody that I would know being an asshole or being finger clickery or whatever, like, but I've seen it, you know, I, I've seen it and I've come across it. And as you say, sometimes you'd be so shocked at who it, who it is in the group or the pals or whatever, but, you know... What he, I've heard of stuff and not so much seen it. A lot of times the waitresses don't bother saying it to you because they know that you're liable to go out. Like they would know that you would be in their corner. Oh. You know, definitely with me so over they don't the want years. to start something. Well, you've got to give them an environment where they really know. Like I remember when I was in Viewmount Barrel, like you'd see, it was like, everything all right. And so somebody's acting the bollocks to me. I goes, what'd they say, Beryl? And she goes, oh, no, it's Grant. It's fine. Mm. You don't need to know. She was a lady. Where I was like, if somebody... Have they gone too far? Because mm-hmm. I'll fucking happily drag them out. Actually, deep down, I really wanted to own Viewmont just for one Saturday night, mm. just to say I can do whatever the fuck I want. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, mm. I know that's terrible, mm. but I suppose that's just maybe in dreamland or like mm. going, because obviously, 
you know, you see through the years, Ramsey threw somebody out or such and such threw somebody out or whatever. But look, deep down, mm. you hope that you're in an environment that you never really have to get yeah, to that. Yeah. You know what I mean? But there's arseholes everywhere. There's no two ways about it. But, but I, I think that the interesting thing about the restaurant thing is that you don't know necessarily somebody is an arsehole until they start peculiarly acting like an arsehole in a restaurant with well, staff. Well, this is what's funny too about the programme, the restaurant, where people forget that they're on camera because on the floor, there's maybe one major master camera on the critics table. But as a lot of the other cameras are just little eyes. And out of 60 diners, there's about 20 people mic'd up. So over the years, I'm at home and I enjoy watching the show. Annette loves the show. So like it's on you know, on Tuesday night. And we'll, if we don't see it live, we'll record it and we'll watch it another night. But the beauty about the show is sometimes, like, because whenever the producers edit in, like, somebody being a real asshole right. in the audience. I've seen them. And I've often said to myself, holy shit, what are they thinking right now? Looking presumably sober, watching their drunk restaurant faces <laughs> at home. And I'm like, there was one boy from Donegal a few years ago and I was like, Oh, your mother is going to break your hole when she sees you. Because you know? I'm like, but there's see, nobody but coming you see from a man or a woman. You see, a man and a woman, let's say. Let's say, say they're a man and a woman. And not to be ageist, but let's just say, in my mind, they're in their mid-50s. And they're together at the table. And you see them sipping their soup, right? And you'll see her face, right? Like a bulldog eating piss <laughs> off a nettle. Okay? And she go, <laughs> it's rather tepid, isn't it? And the man's, mm, it's uh, non-plusage. Or something, some stupid word. Yeah. And you're going, oh my what God. The fuck? You look. Well, last this is Irish TV. I don't, I don't know what episode. It might have been the, the Demi episode or whatever. I was watching there a week or two ago, and there was, you know, there was a slightly older dude. There was a couple of them and a woman on the table. But I, I was feeling very sorry for the woman on the table on this particular night. I was like thinking, fuck me. I would not want to be going home with that dude. Really? There's an awful lot more going on than just an asshole that doesn't like the starters, which, by the way, was fucking top class. Yeah. <laughs> it, was, it was probably the best. Like, I was like, I was You're right. four it down. Does, it does I was a, four down at halftime in that record. I yeah, came back, it, you know. It does tell a lot about it. Gary, you were one of the people that used to come on my radio show all the time, the Sunday Roast on Today FM. And it was great because um, I, I'm Suzanne, I remember, I remember a particular one, I think Suzanne, and Suzanne yeah. was talking, wasn't Suzanne talking about miscarriages? Oh, yeah. And, uh, and you were talking about it as well. Yeah. And then eventually I was talking about it as well. Because, I, and I remember we, we covered this whole area of the idea that one of the kind of, and it's actually since, not because I talked about it or you talked about it, but since around that time, People in Ireland have become much, much better at talking about it. Definitely. And I remember how, I, like myself and Blonnet had four, you know, four miscarriages. And it was just, it was horrendous. Absolutely yeah. horrendous. And I remember distinctly always remembering it's one of the worst things that ever happened to me. And it didn't even happen physically to me. Yeah. Of course, it did happen to me and it yeah. happened to both of us. But uh, I remember, you know, you you sharing your stories yeah. as well, you know. Yeah, I was... I w- I was devastated because even from the minute and Nettie was pregnant, I called Cora Cora, and then when she was pregnant the second time, I called that baby Poppy. You know, I was just in reference to a Poppy seed, as I said. She goes, "We're not calling baby Poppy," but I was maybe by osmosis, we'll call the baby Poppy. I like the name, but yeah, I always remember that night, and we were watching Entourage the movie. We loved the series, me and Nettie. She's dark humor as well, and uh, we went to the movie and done drubbing. She came out, and I saw her face the minute she stepped out of, like wherever she was coming back from the restroom and I was like oh what's wrong 
and and she goes, oh, something, something's not right. And I goes, okay, well, let's let's go ring our doctor. And then the next morning, we were there, and it was just blank, nothing. So she had she had gone through that, but I was like that 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 ultrasound room. And because they're so used to to bad news, maybe good news, mostly bad news, wherever room we were in, they weren't that nice. And I always remember just being, you know, Nettie takes it in her stride or did take it in her stride, you know. But, like, I definitely remember pulling in in Edgewistown one or two nights not long after that. Like, I mean, I cried my heart out, but I, I was like, I didn't want Annette to see me crying my heart out, kind of, you know what I mean, whenever I got home. But but I, w- I was just sad. I was, like, going... This is this is unbelievably awful. But every time you spoke to somebody, it's like, oh, we've had three. I'm like, oh, fuck's sake, it's not hot dinners we're chatting about. You know what I mean? Like, but even there with you, like, oh, we had four, or like one or two people. I said, I was like, well, geez, you've, it's only happened you once. You you'll be grand, or it'll be fine, and it's a way of life. But look, it was what it was. But then we've we we Ollie, and every now and again you think, God, you know, if we had had Poppy, maybe there wouldn't have been an Ollie, and. He's adorable. Mm. They call him what the rainbow baby is it or whatever. So mm. he and then we be potty now. We have three and yeah. that's that Great. with that. Yeah, it's funny. <laughs> you as, know, as, the, as our kids get older as well, the odd time they and they've asked about the other ones. Yeah, it's a funny one. Yeah, well, ours aren't old kind of, enough to know it's, that chat. Yeah, it's but a we only, moment. We yeah. had the one, but it's but I do. Funny enough, once in a blue moon, and and like I've had really, I've really close friends that have that have lost babies that were born and that is definitely worse obviously like the you know i don't think there's there's any any comparison there i wouldn't even know i wouldn't even know where like we you know i did a golf charity day for this wee bar i played football for in the 90s in salt hill and i've stayed extremely close with them trends in salt hill this year we raised money for a new daisy lodge to be built for families there's one in northern ireland i believe and rory mcelroy got a site in kong so they're trying to build a Daisy Lodge in Kong, and we raised a hundred and four or five thousand last Friday for there. But it was in memory of wee Miles Higginbotham, who was the, the the son of Lisa and Higgy Brian, friends of ours, and you know he's in that committee with me, and they went. We raised money for the Ronald McDonald House one one year that looked after wee Miles for a long time before before he died, and you know that's that's a, a whole other level of, of pain and and sadness you know what i mean like but um whether a miscarriage is to save you from ever having to go through through that in later life who knows and in that sense mm. maybe it's 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 the best thing you know what i mean i don't know if that's the only way yeah. of looking at it yeah, positively yeah, yeah. Uh, that saves you from pain or maybe mm. you did something good in life that didn't let you go through mm. what higgy and lisa has gone through and, mm. and all their friends and family but look yeah that that day though i was i was extremely i remember that because susan's a good pal too and yeah. i don't think she really she, took me uh, by surprise she, actually she took me a wee bit by surprise that day yeah. too like and then obviously i had my own story and so did yeah. you yeah yeah because we came in to chat about we some just, messy exactly. stuff and and then we were we turned out to be emblematic of everybody else yeah everybody has their own story and one of the reasons they don't talk about it of course is because socially in society it's very awkward and i mean literally awkward because you meet somebody and you go woohoo you're pregnant and then you might only meet them five months later and they're going, woohoo. And you're going, woohoo. Aye, woohoo, yeah. And then you don't really want to go into it. I know. And then they don't really want to ask. And so it's better if everybody shuts up about it. Yeah. But actually, it's not better if everybody shuts up about it. It's good if everybody talks about it. I know, it is. I definitely. And all this stuff about mental health and everything, it is good. Yeah. It can become a little bit, 
cliched yeah. and a little bit tired and a little bit um, done to death by certain people. But it is actually really, really for a good reason. And speaking thing. about mental health, you nearly put me off the road on f- last week. I what? listened when <laughs> you told who when you did the blind boy thing and somebody's arms stay the fuck away from mental health. <laughs> I swear to more. God. Dave, yeah, was I was more? I was driving I was driving down the M six yeah. and I was holding myself. I was like, oh, Jesus nice. Christ, that's over there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah Gar- Gar- Gary, you've been brilliant. Thank you so much. And there's there's so much other stuff we could talk about, but but I mean it's not a two hour podcast no uh, so we'll leave it there um, there's one more caller actually that wants to ring in so say hello actually would, uh, most high profile caller we've ever had actually it's James Corden ah, James this. you scumbag what's the crack Gary <laughs> Gary it's James it's James Corden do you remember me uh, vaguely I'm in a I'm in an open top Mercedes it's a seven it's a seven series Mercedes it's an SEL. <laughs> I'm in Los Angeles. Gary, are you still there? I'm here, mate. I yeah. went to the Condor, your restaurant in France. I was there. <laughs> and Gary, it was a fantastic meal. Lovely. It was brilliant. But Gary, just one small thing. I ordered an egg white omelette and there was a little bit of fucking yolk in it. <laughs> Why can't you do your fucking job, you mohawk prick? You good for nothing fuckball! Fuck off, you English bastard. <laughs> Alright, and don't be coming back near us. <laughs> I backed that up. Fuck off, Gordon. Jeez, they're all weighing in on the poor guy. <laughs> Too soon. Too soon. <laughs> we'll leave it there. And that's it for this week. My thanks, of course, to my guest, Gary O'Hanlon, for his ebullient personality and fantastic stories. Thanks, Gary. My thanks also to our new platform partner, GoLoud. Great to be here with GoLoud. Uh, please tell a friend about my podcast, just one friend, and email me if you like directly, mariorosenstock at gmail.com. See you next week. Same place. Take it easy. <laughs>